Welcome to another episode of Ed Up Explained, part of the Ed Up Experience Podcast Network. Thank you as always for listening. I have another great guest for you today, so let's get started. Hi everyone, I am so excited today to welcome a person who is an expert on teaming and who is doing some really innovative things in the tech industry. Her name is Michelle Bousquet. She is the chief people officer at Strava, which is the leading social platform for athletes. I'm sure many of you are aware of that and use it. Um, Michelle has been building teams and leading people strategy for more than 20 years. She is the chief people officer at Strava. And in addition to working at a tech company, she has experience in finance and architectural engineering. Michelle, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Um, So I want to get right into it because in my uh, view today, there might be uh, no more important role inside of a company as a chief people officer. Um, with all of the really revolutions that are going on in the workplace and uh, among managers and and teams. So tell me about your role at Strava and um, how things are going there. Yeah, I'm smiling as you say that because I joined Strava in December of 2019 and I had a decent idea of how I might approach the challenges that were facing Strava at the time. Uh, the company had uh, you know, recently changed its strategy and was really moving in a different direction. A founder had stepped back in and was now CEO, our founder, Michael Horvath. And we had all of these interesting changes going on. And I had a good plan. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and, and everything went perfectly, right? That's right. It went all according to plan. Um, you know, you, we all lived it as like within 60 days or so of my um, getting to Strava, the world really, really dramatically changed. Yeah. Um, we had this classic moment of deciding we should do a test global work from home day. This was like March 6, 2020, because oh. it seemed like things were, yes. things were going on. And so I sent this classic note, Friday will be a test work from home day. Um, and then of course we never went back. So right. we, we're still not back. And so, yeah, so I think just, you know, the, the work of the past 18 months or so has been really outside the realm of any playbook that I've had. Um, I've certainly been able to call on experience perspective and probably the most valuable part intuition. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's really been totally new territory on really every, every level, both with the pandemic, as well as just all of the, the ways the world is shifting the pressure points around social justice and long overdue uh, discussions around race equity and just so many really pressure ridden new forces and just thinking through how do you support people and handle these things, um, which are just way outside anything we've ever really dealt with in the workplace. Yeah, um, I, I know that Strava, like you said, has gone through an immense amount of change. Um, and one of those is Strava is based in the Bay Area, correct? And, and wasn't a remote company, but you're going through some changes that you've been leading. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, absolutely. So yes, Strava was founded and based in the San Francisco in the Bay Area. 
um, at the point before the pandemic, we had an office in Bristol, we had an office in Hanover, uh, in New Hampshire, as well as in Denver. Um, we operated very much as the five days a week in the office. A few people had made kind of separate arrangements, but other than that, our workforce was really entirely in person. We had all the you know challenges of you're not in the home office, kind of a feeling of remoteness, being on the Zoom, being a tiny face in a you know and sort of being ignored by the conference room where the meeting was happening. All <laughs> yeah. those, all those it real, Michelle. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know, like, hey, can I make a comment? Um, so, yeah, I think so. What we experienced, um, of course, we went to fully remote, as you know, most companies did. We're still operating in that mode, and as we started to think about what would life look like after we even had the ability to go back to offices, um, we used it for sure as an inflection point to say, let's think about the ways we were working before, the things that were just exhausting or unproductive or ridiculous. Um, the, the highlights from working totally in a distributed fashion, like every one person has a Zoom square and equal weight and equal voice and equal ability to contribute. Right. Um, how can we learn from that? Yeah, so our strategy, we, we are going to reopen our offices for use starting in September. Um, but we gave our employees, uh, you know, we've said, hey, whatever works for you is how we want you to work. So we asked them to opt in. They can either continue to work fully remotely, um, kind of no questions asked from anywhere. Um, they can do a hybrid schedule, meaning they want to come in one or two days a week, either with or without an assigned desk. Um, and they can or they can work in the office and say, hey, I want, you know, want a desk and I like the stability of being in. So it's been interesting. It's really about a third, a third, a third, how people will come back. And um, I think just what I would comment on is if we've learned anything from like the way we're operating right now, it's we got to ground ourselves in what do you need? What's best for you? And an understanding that everybody's situation is really different. So the best solutions are the most flexible ones and the ones that give people the most choice. Yeah, I, I think that's really interesting and it kind of touches on something I had been thinking about before, which is, um, you know, you're the chief people officer. When you started out, um, I, I, I don't think that was a, a thing, that was a term. Um, <laughs> right, yeah. So can you talk about the difference, you know, just both in the terminology from when you first got into this work to now with this focus on people that you're talking about? Gosh, yeah, I think about this all the time, right? This field and this work, um, I understand every every role has really changed. Certainly, what did it mean to be the chief marketing officer 20 years ago before digital was really a thing? Like, I get it, all roles yeah. have changed. But this role, is, um, this role has really evolved. I mean, when I started off, I worked at Charles Schwab, the financial institution right out of college, by the way, after declaring that I would never, ever work in corporate America. <laughs> Approximately two weeks later, I worked at Charles Schwab. <laughs> I, um, I started as a temp, like that was the role, that was the job I could get. But I remember there was the executive vice president of HR. And I, you know, just watching that person, he was, you know, as in a 25,000 person company, he was sort of like a celebrity type. He was yeah. very... You know, it, so, the, but the role and what did, you know, the role was about, it was definitely about compensation. It was about benefits. It was about deferred compensation. It was about executive compensation. You know, it was really like, how do you employ people? Mm -hmm. um, Schwab was definitely at the forefront. I mean, I'm glad that I landed there at the beginning because they were at the forefront of even just discussions about culture. 
What does it mean to think about people? And they had very rich benefit and profit sharing 401k kinds of programs that were really unique. Um, and they talked about like, how do you build a culture and things, but, but very much at the beginning. So I think as my, as my career has evolved, you know, I, I spent 10 years at an asset management firm, roughly 10 years. And, and I remember just having these conversations of like, we need to think about like how we talk about the culture we want to create and, um, and just really like trying to be that voice at the table for things that now feel very table stakes. Mm. Um, I, I remember, um, you know, just kind of early, like looking and reading up, talking to people and consultants about culture and they would, you know, some lines stuck out to me like, hey, you have a culture, whether or not you proactively curate it, you right. have one. And so you should understand what it is um, and use that, you know, for many reasons, but as a tool for understanding who to attract, who will perform well in your organization, how to really curate talent, you know, all these reasons you should think about it. But, but just to say that, that I've seen, you know, my role and the expectations on what does it mean to lead people going from really how do you employ people? Um, how do you sort of like get people to fall in line with the company goals and objectives and deliver high performance to really like, you know, an understanding today that I see my primary role is like, how can I help support you so that you can do great work so that work can give you energy so that this yeah. is a place you want to stay? Um, and really like, what do you need? Not right. like, what can you do for me? Yeah, no, that's, I think um, focusing on what people, what gives people energy is just a win-win for everyone, right? It's if mm -hmm. we're spending our days doing something, we want it to be something that's um, gratifying. Um, however, that is whatever motivates that person. Um, and, right. and that's how you really create engagement, I think, in the workplace. So, yeah. so to another thing, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just, no, just going to add because it comes up because I think the the primary like there there's some key insights that I've learned in my career and one of them is like the biggest way to give people energy is to allow them to be themselves and um, I think for yes, like right on right on for, for ten plus years of my career I would just look around even when I was leading teams and be like why does everyone act so weird the moment they walk through the door here? Like they put on like this weird corporate suit. And I remember looking at your meme, your picture that you posted of like, but it's like, I'm gonna like play my corporate role with my corporate like standards and my, now I know white standards. And like, I'm gonna show up in this kind of strange way. And then I would see people outside of work and be like, that's not even who Bob, like, why is he so different? Like right. when I see him, even Bob, outside. like even yeah. like the white no. guy who like, you know, know is, is, yes. is like melding himself to this culture. Yeah. You're, yes. you're absolutely right. I feel like, why? So I guess what I would say is like, that's exhausting. That mm -hmm. is exhausting for, for everyone involved, especially for people who feel like I have to check my identity at the door, but for everybody, you know, it's just like, I don't go home, need to discuss something with my husband and like sit around a table and stare at a screen and present something to him. Like, why do we act so differently in yeah. workplaces than how we communicate, how we connect with one another, what brings us joy, you know, and so on. So it's just, these are like things to me of how do we get work to look more like life is really something I'm always striving for. And, and therefore we get a bit more energy from it. Yeah, so. I think that's been, um, a big uh, revelation for people, or maybe not a revelation, maybe a relief for some people of working remotely. 
is getting back, even during a very difficult time, a little bit of the joy of being able to choose how you spend your time, choose how you prioritize and still get done what you need to get done. As much of a challenge as it has been, it's that joy factor, you know, that's, that mm -hmm. is, is, I think, important. And I, I love to hear you talk about that as someone who is a chief people officer. So I want to go back to, um, to, you know, I want to talk about how recruiting has um, been affected by these changes at Strava, both with um, going more remote, giving people this flexibility and agency, but also in terms of um, the larger Strava commitment to anti-racism and diversifying your, your workplace. So talk about recruiting from those angles. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and as I talk about recruiting, I wanna name Camille Tate, who is our director of talent and who has been just an incredible change agent, thought partner, inspirational leader, and somebody I learn from every day. She's on the team with me. And so know that I'm, um, you know, not authoring or owning a lot of these changes, but more a partner and supporter of them. So she is, I know Camille, she is amazing. Um, yes. She also, she is um, so talented and also has her own podcast. So yes, I'll be sure yes. to mention okay. that in my show notes. Yeah, the um, uh, the HR twins. Yes, she's amazing. So we could have a whole podcast actually on Camille and maybe we should, but um, but yeah, talent has really changed at Strava. And I think what I will name is when we made a commitment to becoming an anti-racist company, that was after 11 years of Strava not operating as an anti-racist company um, and being quite blind to the ways that that, uh, that that mode of operation had really harmed people of color, had really limited our ability to build what I think is the best team. Um, and so a lot of like the progress that we've made has been in the last year. And I don't want to present at all like we were operating in this way kind of since Strava's inception. So we've grown, we've gotten better. Um, but some of, so what we've done, I think we, we like most tech companies were largely white leadership team and largely white company kind of overall. So when we had the privilege to start adding to the team and scaling, which we did as a result of you know, a strong year last year, we started opening roles, we started thinking about how we could be much more, um, much more intentional about the kind of team that we build. And I think have had a lot of ahas from that. One is most of the time the MO recruiting is you post a job, people apply, you interview some people, you know, you screen some resumes, you interview some people, you hire the best person. That already, like the numbers are so skewed in terms of who will raise their hand and say, yes, I apply, I want to work in tech, I have a tech background, you know, tech is so fundamentally exclusive. Yeah, um, it's very hard for people who have not historically been into tech or haven't been like in this party to raise their hand and say like, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and submit my resume and and even harder that you would get a second look. So when I say we revamped our process, it starts at the very beginning with like, hey, instead of come to us and we'll like evaluate whether you're good enough or not, it's like, who do we need to go find? So our team does a ton of proactive sourcing. They've all done um, deep training in sourcing. How do you source um, from diverse talent pools? How do we find the kinds of talent and the kind of skills and people that we want to join the Strava team? And then we go and say, hey, we'd love to talk to you. Um, that just even that alone, we still, of course, consider inbound, 
what we don't do, this is again, a, a historical practice in my career is you post a role. Somebody says, oh, I used to work with, you know, I'll go with Bob again. I used to work with Bob. Bob's so mm-hmm. great. Oh, great. We meet with Bob. We love Bob. You like Bob? Great. Let's hire Bob. Bob was the only person we ever talked to. Yep. Bob was white, you know, and that's sort of that whole um, privilege based on who you know and who you knew based on the privilege you had and all that lighting up to just stack the odds against your ability to build a diverse team. So it starts with saying, you know, we make commitments. I'll say a personal commitment. Like when a person of color reaches out to me on LinkedIn, I respond. You know, if I can, I usually am able to make some time, have a chat. Um, Camille is a huge fan of like, hey, this is about relationships. So who do we deliberately form relationships with and why? Um, so it's reaching out, it's making ourselves available. It's also slowing way down. We don't measure time to fill positions. We know we're going to find the great person, but we're going to hold ourselves to like taking the time and saying, did we build a really good pipeline? Did we talk to people who were, who had like varying experiences, varying racial identities, varying lived experiences? Did we talk to a good slate of people and do we feel good about the direction we're going? And we've just been able to like really turn traditional practices on their head. Um, so we see every role we post as an opportunity to make our team more representative of the community we want to serve. And we're building like this incredible team as a result. That's so, um, I love hearing that you are not um, putting the focus on time to fill. Because I really have seen so many searches where that was one of the highest priorities end up with, um, you know, just not the right additions to teams. Um, yeah. And, uh, and you have to stop and think about it, you know, think about these roles and nature and question why, you know, what is mm-hmm. the urgency, you know, and, and what yeah. does it say about what you value? right yeah Um, I genuinely believe like every person we are hiring now is making our team and Strava so much better and I think our whole team believes that and so there's this like genuine appreciation for people and we we never you know we don't talk about roles we don't like talk about the job you're gonna do we talk about like who is this person Mm -hmm. how is this person gonna make us better and in what what ways what, what can we learn from them? And like this, so there's just been a real wholesale shift. Um, of course they have experience, of course they are talented and, you know, know their functional area, but there's just like, this is a human being and that person will have an incredible impact on the kind of company we become. And we need to be careful with that and to do, deliberate, you know? So yeah. I think we've really shifted, like, what does it actually mean to build the best team? Um, I, I think that uh, being careful that really resonates with me too, because it shows a level of care for, for the mm-hmm. person. Um, and that you, you know, we expect candidates to, to value the organizations that they're applying to. Um, mm-hmm. But a lot of times in the interview process and in the recruiting process, that value is not reciprocated, you know, showing right care. So, so that's, I'm really glad to, to hear you say that. Um, one of the things that I want to talk about is um, what is Strava doing internally as far as, um, you know, programming around these issues around becoming a more diverse and celebratory and welcoming environment. Um, 
what what are employees uh, doing um, and how is it going? You know, what what things do you think have worked really well? Yeah, so there's um, there's a lot that we've done and tried. There are some things that have had zero impact. I just would like you to know. Yeah. <laughs> so this yeah. is not a story of like, sometimes I feel like, by the way, you listen to these things and it's like, oh, these people have it all figured out. We don't no. have anything you, you figured gotta, out. You gotta like try and fail. Like I, I <laughs> yeah. know that's why I say what's worked well, because uh, yeah. I know there's yeah. something that hasn't worked well, but you know, yeah. that's, it's like you said in the beginning, this is all unknown so it's almost kind yeah. of like a playground of of trying things and not being afraid to to fail and that's right. how you find what works so you know right. yep yep so some of the things i think that have been really incredibly impactful are one um, i mean starting from the beginning just it, this isn't just about the talent process but i think it starts at the very beginning which is we talk about our anti-racism commitment in our job postings and we talk about them in every interview in the process along the way, because we want people to be really clear that this is not like a side project or some group you can opt in or out of. If you wanna to come to Strava, you need to be willing to, you don't have to be comfortable with, but you need to be willing to talk about these things, talk about race to, to interrogate your own beliefs and your behaviors. So wanna be really clear up front. I think immediately when people join the team, especially people of color, they feel somewhat gratified to know this wasn't just like a marketing pitch. This is something mm -hmm. I'm hearing about all the time. Um, I think secondly, I would say um, anyone who identifies as black or African-American or Latinx um, or indigenous, we're inviting to a um, identity group that meets every single Monday. Um, it's a you know for only people who, who you know, I share that identity or identification. Mm -hmm. um, it's not like controlled or influenced or participated by anyone else. And so it's truly a safe space. Like if you join on a Monday, you can join Mondays, Mondays at three um, every single week. And it's just become, you know, a trusted and safe space by the way, created by and for people of color um, and just supported. And I think a place to go, wow, for some people, it's like, hey, for the first time in my career, I'm not like the only um, and that feels really good from day one. Uh, and then I think just other other things are we introduce, um, you know, we talk about things like our, our we had an anti-racism working group who met, who has met every single week with the CEO for multiple hours for a year um, to help lead and create our mission for becoming an anti-racist company. And, and the working group created a framework for like, how do we think about our own personal journey into anti-racism or living into anti-racism? And so we talk about the framework, we talk about it at our all hands, we talk about, we share reflections when we can. And so just this feeling of like, it's okay to talk about this. And um, when we see things, you know, that um, strike us as being out of alignment with our values, we try to talk about them and name them and align with them. There's, that's still a work in progress. I think there are still, um, for myself, like just being steeped in these, you know, this white life, white standards, white point of view, there are so many times where we walk away from a situation and I saw it completely differently. Mm -hmm. And so just continuing to talk about that and say like, hey, how do I hold my own myself accountable? How do I re-educate myself on the daily? Um, how do I make it not anyone else's job to point that out? But how do I hone my own ability to see what racism looks like at work and how I can stop doing it? <laughs> yeah. um, those things, I think just as leaders, like just just even saying things like that can be somewhat 
um, fresh and revolutionary for people where we just never talked about race at work. We never named things and we sort of like quietly were hurt. And that's just how it was. So those are some of the things that I think are are working. And then there's just, there's a number of like different policies or practices that we, that we have instituted. But I think it actually more is in the willingness to make this a daily conversation and something that we're, we're going to keep pushing even when we feel uncomfortable. Yeah, no, I mean, that is, uh, I think that a lot of people, you know, talking about race at work, what I'll say is that, uh, you know, I was talking about race at work and, and other people of color, I think, we're talking about race at work, but doing it, you know, in a way that was very hushed because it wasn't something that, you know, you knew that, uh, that anyone else wanted to talk about. So being able to just openly have those conversations and not feel like you're being surveilled. I mean, just that in and of itself, you can imagine the difference that makes in a workplace. Um, Absolutely. So, uh, so so I'm sure all of these changes are are being met uh, with glowing approval across the board by uh, everybody. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I, what I want to know, you know, I, I well, you know what, actually, Michelle, it sounds like Strava is a haven of uh, critical race theory, and um, you know, it sounds like you just want to make people feel very guilty. I'm kidding. Um, but we do know that, you know, this is something that's raging. And, and my question is, uh, you know, when you're, you're right, your job postings are very explicit about Strava being committed to anti-racism. Have you encountered any sort of resistance um, to that uh, from candidates or, or other people involved in the, the, the hiring and recruitment process? Not at all, actually. I mean, I think the beautiful thing about like, well, one is it's it's not an entitlement to work anywhere, right? So all of us should be evaluating like, what kind of culture is this? And does that fit with me? Uh, so it's great to be intentional and vocal about like who you are. So I think by doing that, people that are like, yeah, I'm not that into it, they aren't applying. Yeah. Um, it would be a very sad cause to feel like I'm gonna be the one person who's gonna like come here and change you know, change your mind right. um, and they would never get the job. So it's, it's, right. um, I think where we've had more like, uh, I, I, there isn't actually resistance. I think one of the things that's been surprising to me is that there isn't, there's not like a growing pool of people who say, Hey, I'm not on board with this, or this like current of a shadowy, like, um, back channel. I think if anything, there's more just this, like, um, first of all, there's a lack of familiarity with, wow, this is new to be like trying to go there and have these conversations that are deeply emotional and uh, fraught, like in the workplace. And for people who love to have everything figured out, you know, and they, they've been doing their, you know, career for 15 years, they know exactly what to say, blah, blah, blah. Like, that's really uncomfortable. So I think it's grades of people's willingness to like, engage based on their own kind of personal development. Yeah. But there isn't there isn't like an anti-current. Um, and my experience is when we meet people where they are, help facilitate, you know, maybe it's a cue that, hey, we need to build tools to have like a shared language or a better way to communicate so that people can go there, um, so that we can move forward to where we want to go by creating a little bit more psychological safety, for example. Like when we when we bring that, then we get a little bit farther. So yeah. I think there's, I wouldn't say we've encountered really any resistance. We get a lot of, uh, 
you know, negativity when we post things more broadly, um, yeah. of course. And you saw that a little bit of that on my LinkedIn and we're coming. Oh yeah. That made me mm-hmm. really angry. Although I, I, um, you know, those kinds of things don't surprise me, but mm-hmm. it, it really does speak to, um, you know, what a company is willing to, I don't want to say sacrifice, but mm-hmm. what a company is, is how a, a company and organization is, is putting their reputation on the line and what, what you say you stand for and how easily some companies can buckle when mm-hmm. they're met with that kind of criticism or backlash or anger. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. what do you think it takes for a, a company like Strava to really stand firm and not buckle to, to the people who say, oh, I'm done with Strava because I'm not all about this anti-racism stuff. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, um, by the way, it's just such a, always such a like personal struggle with what do I do with this information? Um, when I receive it, you know, there's the hundreds of notes that our, our community management team will get, for example, when we post a statement, um, and, and, you know, by the way, we've learned like turn off comments when we post something on our, mm-hmm. on our social channels and just certain things. Cause it's, um, you know, we neither need people cheering us on nor people telling, you know, it's sort of like, we want to be clear about where we stand, um, right. versus like, try to create some con, you know, conversation, which can right. in some, certain cases not be helpful and also can be very harmful to like leave a bunch of comments out there that people have to then read. Yeah. Um, so in any case, I think what it takes, and, and why I'm so grateful to Michael Horvath, our CEO and Mark Ganey, co-founder and chairman of the board is there's a level of confidence and, um, groundedness and maturity that they both have, which is, Hey, this is not, um, a utility or, you know, like Strava is not like, uh, you know, providing electrical service to your house or something like right. this is a this is a social community based on shared values around sport, around inspiration and motivation, also about anti-racism, about how we treat one another, how we show up in the world at large. You can opt into that. It is not a right to be, you know, to use Strava segments, you know, for your own training. Mm -hmm. This is something that we are creating and building. And, and we invite you to opt out of it if it is not landing for you and that's great and so I think that confidence and I don't want to say fearlessness because I I think that a lot of the time it can feel scary to to hold your ground and I and that's just part of it it's sort of like but what do you do with that um I think it's this confidence of like we trust that by being clear and by using our voice um to communicate what we believe in we will build a community that operates in the way we think it should. And so I think it just takes this like, uh, just standing on your own two feet and understanding that uh, you have to dis, I guess, disengage with the like fear of what other people think. Because yeah. if my measure is I want everyone to like me, first of all, it's just impossible. We have almost 90 million athletes on the platform. Yeah. Um, so they won't all like it. And I think it's just, Let's be true to ourselves um, and continue to ground ourselves in our belief and trust that like things will fall out and that's fine. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you know, you know, we didn't change the company to please anyone. 
uh, we did what we thought was right. And then people gravitate toward it based on whether or not, you know, they want to operate in that way. Yeah. Well, I think that, um, you know, the, the world is changing rapidly and a lot of what we're seeing is backlash to that. Um, mm -hmm. But that doesn't erase the fact that the world is changing. Um, so it's, it's a matter of, you know, seeing where, you know, of any, everyone should have a, so they say a five-year plan, you know, seeing mm -hmm. where you want to be uh, personally and as an organization in five years. Um, so mm -hmm. I, I think it's pretty clear uh, when we look back at history, the, the people who are on the right side uh, and, and the people who mm -hmm. are not on the right side. So it's, it's, yeah, to me, it's yeah. an easy choice, you know? Um, yeah. Well, and there's just so much, I mean, it's kind of the, the Spider-Man thing, right? Like with great power comes great responsibility. And I think we've had so many conversations about like your impact in the world or the things you say and the way that you use your quote power is really like the thing that matters. Um, yeah. And so, and it's proportional to how big your, you know, if you think about Strava being like a flashlight beam, yeah. Like we have a really big uh, surface area where that beam is hitting and a very big opportunity to speak about, you know, about what we believe. We want to speak about sport. We want to speak about joy. We want to speak about all these things. But I do believe there's a level of responsibility and that to stay kind of silent or on the sidelines or just like post a random thing on Instagram every now and again without like trying to live into that and back that up in an authentic way. Yeah. It, I just think that that, um, I actually don't think that that will be possible in 10 years. Like, I really don't think, I don't think our, your employees will allow you to show up yeah. kind of with your hands up going like, oh, I'm neutral. I just don't think neutral is real. No. So anyway, I think the world is changing. And I actually believe, um, even as a leader who's been leading for a long time, there are things where I'll think, oh, this is really progressive. And then I kind of like look around and I'm like, actually, I think when you stretch yourself in a traditional company and go, what would be like a really new way of doing things? Like you're probably only starting to get to the way it just should be. Right. So it's right. like, uh, yeah, I think it, I, I just do think that there, there will be kind of this dinosaur vibe of companies that aren't really pushing themselves right now to, to reestablish kind of the way the world should work. And you think about like the role companies play in it. To me, it's, there was this great um, webcast that was put on a couple of months ago by PolicyLink, which is just an incredible organization um, that has been working on race equity at the policy level for decades. Mm -hmm. But they put on this, um, they, they've put out these CEO standards of racial or for racial equity, a blueprint for racial equity. And um, and we've benefited from reading and being engaged with their work and thinking through. But the point is there was a quote in this webinar that said um, companies are integral like toward race equity because companies and corporations know how to bend the law to suit their will. Mm. And they always have. Mm -hmm. And so if you want people who know how to make government like work to their favor, then hopefully their favor is, you know, working toward racial equity and, and, and correcting things that have long been wrong because they know how to do it. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, they, um, they, so anyway, they, I, and, and, and racism lives on through policy, you know, and, right. and, yeah. and policy is shaped by uh, racism and other social forces. So, yeah. um, so it is helpful, I think, to think about that as a two-way street, you know, and how people 
um, can gain some power to, to start creating new uh, policies and practices. So yeah, um, yeah. And I also, I mean, let me just say, I want to make it really clear too that like, are, you know, speaking up about, you know, whatever we may believe. I understand that that is not making a dent on like the real lived experience, you know, <laughs> of people in many cases, right? Like we, I think that's where we're, where I reflect. And as we were kind of a year in on our, our anti-racism commitment, just thinking like, okay, we've done all these things within Strava and we're willing to use our voice and we're building the culture and we're building a more representative team and all these things like, but what does it mean for like, you know, a black man who's pulled over by the police today. Like, have, are we changing anything? Is the world exactly the same as it was a year ago? And I think grappling with these, like, how do I make the kind of changes that are within my power and continue to like push what is within my power, but also understand that like, this mm-hmm. is big and hard and like, and maybe not impacting anything yet, you know? Yeah. Um, those you're are not like, saving the world. Like you're not- correct. You're not and I don't want to make it sound Strava like we pat are. on the back and saying, you know, yeah. we're, the, we're saving the world, you know, um, uh, yeah. no, that's not a, I think we're just like, call you out on that real quick. Yeah. And I think just like, but like how, living within that space, right? Like, what can we do? What power do we have? What is it? It's always like in this day to day, in this moment, what is the right action for me to take? Um, even still, you know? <laughs> So um, I guess I just need to name that, that like, it's not enough to just sit there and go, wow, we're not really making an impact. Like, so let's not do anything. Um, I don't know, just trying to find that space of where we can. And I think we will build momentum over time with what actually can impact like on the policy level and where can we um, create a more inclusive like product and how can that show up in the real lived experiences for people? But we're just like, we're just on that journey. And um, just, I, you know, just where we are. So I just wanted to name that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I appreciate that. Um, it's, it's, it's very important. I think you mentioned to reflect, you know, so to have a leader, like you reflect personally and think more broadly. I mean, really that's the, um, <clears throat> that's what this podcast is all about really is taking a look at, um, taking a look at issues and just kind of going a step further, thinking a little mm-hmm. bit deeper. And so that's really what that's all about. Um, yeah. I, I want to uh, give you a um, chance to talk about anything you want before we wrap up. Um, I'm very interested personally in you know, hearing about uh, some of your reflections, your biggest lessons on, on teaming and team building. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. Speak to anything that you really want to address. Oh my gosh, I'm so glad you brought up the teams because I think that there it's, I was actually just on a walk with my husband yesterday and we were talking about building teams and I, it's something I can get like really fired up on in a way of, uh, I don't think people often understand how important it is, how much of an art it is to actually build a strong team. Um, and so I'm glad because it's something I just love talking about, thinking about. Um, I'm, I love teaming. I'm obsessed with teaming. And, okay. and I was actually thinking, and before our, um, before I, I, we got on, um, are you familiar with uh, Tuckman's model of team uh, organizational dynamics, you know, 
forming, storming, norming, performing. Yes. Um, yeah, that's like, you know, I just get really excited about that. So I'm kind of a teaming nerd. And, yes. uh, you know, one of the things that I love about Bill, about being a part of a team, I always say I'm a huge team player. And it's because, you know, I perform best when I am helping someone else. Mm-hmm. You know, and when I'm, when I'm serving someone else. So even if you're, mm-hmm. you know, if you're working individually and independently, you know, you have your audience that you're trying to serve, you know, whether it's you know, customers or users, or I was in education, so students, um, mm-hmm. but it's really on a day-to-day, just being able to mm-hmm. help people with something and support them. Mm-hmm. I, that's really motivating to me. So, mm-hmm. so yes, yeah, is, is very important and I can see how it is an art. Yeah, it is. And I think, again, a a historical approach to like, how do you build a team as you say, okay, I need, you know, someone to do this. So then I go find the best someone to do that. And then I need someone to do that. And then I, and then you think, wow, I got all these really smart, talented, experienced, best of individuals. And I put them together. And actually it was like, you know, all kinds, it, it can be anywhere from just like, okay, to, you know, mm-hmm. actually dysfunctional and actually, um, actually high performing but so what I would say is like to me rule number one of forming a team is who do I need based on who do I already have Mm. and who do I need based on who do I already have so I think about not what roles do I have a team is not a series of like job performing roles Um, it's a it's a group of people and you cannot discount the style the outlook the you know is this person fundamentally optimistic is this person fundamentally help us always think through what's the downside be careful not to have a whole team of people who think that way does this person primarily rely on intellect logic and rational thinking great you need one of those but you can't have everyone be that way who's the kite who pulls you who tethers you you know it's just this um the better you know the people you have, the more you'll know who you need. Yeah. And it's it's just fascinating to me. Like when I interview people and most of the time, you know, when a person gets to me kind of for an interview or it's the team has already has some confidence in them and so on. But I'm, and I'm listening to, you know, what are their skills and what are their outlook? But I'm really trying to understand like, who is this person? In what ways will this person brighten our team? Um, in what ways will we learn from this person? How might they like better balance some of the dynamics that we already have? And so it's just this, you know, building teams is an evolving thing, especially in tech. Someone will always be falling out of the life raft and falling into it and coming out, coming in. You know, there's always this feeling of like, once we fill that role, we will be stable forevermore. <laughs> we will, you know, there's like you're river rafting basically. And the rapids are just profound and so who you need and who will help you meet that need and how that person's personal life like whatever just happened for them is going to show up at work and so it's just this like there are I think about essential skills regardless of role and those are um, you know compassion the ability to communicate the ability to connect the dots um, the ability to truly listen listen generously like those are really fundamental skills and I wouldn't hire anyone without them 
Mm. But then on top of that, I think, ooh, you know, um, who's my person who like always can organize like the, you know, the big thinking into a tactical like operation? Who's the person that I always have to constrain because they dream so big that like I need them yeah. to come down to earth? It's and... me, but that was <laughs> asking. Yeah, and those. Yeah, those types. I don't know if you have this, but it's like they love like a new idea and they get so inspired. And then when it gets like 60 days into operationalizing, they would rather hand that off. Yeah. And that's great. Like that's not I, I think you and I were talking or alluding to this, but there's this there's sort of when I think back to what was I talking about with corporate standards, I do believe there has historically been a like, what does a successful strategic business leader look like? You know, and it's somebody who like has everything nailed and that's just not real not real and so not real. how, how do I like yeah how do I help people play to their strengths and go you know what I see that you really have a hard time like actually operationalizing your great idea but I need your great idea so I'm going to pair you with someone who knows who doesn't necessarily have the idea but wants to make it come to life and Right. So anyway, like I said, I could talk about this a ton, but it's who do you need based on who do you already have? And, and then I think like part of building teams is also understanding when it's time for somebody to not be on the team. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that there's a fearlessness of like, just because we met and we did great work doesn't mean we need to be together forever. Mm -hmm. And being able to make it safe enough to talk to someone about what they really want, what's giving them energy you know, the company evolves, the world evolves, we should be free to move on as well. Um, right. And that's a big part of building teams that people don't talk about. It's great to hire, but what about like, actually, I think I'm evolving this team and, you know, being willing to make the call about like, I see the future and I see that like, um, you know, I see a different dynamic we could work yeah. toward. So, and I, yeah. I think those have been very, I mean, I, I, I would think for most people, that those conversations have a potential to be very traumatic. You know, they, mm -hmm. uh, it's a it's a place of feeling threatened for mm -hmm. for a variety of reasons, and to create a a place of psychological safety where you can have those really difficult conversations, but mitigate the amount of harm and the amount of of trauma, knowing that mm -hmm. you know it's it's probably you know, inevitable, but, but what can you do to, to be able to have them in a way that leaves a person feeling, you know, respected at the end, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. leaves them feeling whole. Um, that's, that's really important. And, and I would actually love to maybe have you back on um, later uh, to talk about that, you know, how to have mm -hmm. those, those tough conversations, because I think yeah. that that's something that uh, this audience would be very interested in and and could possibly apply some of that. So, so would yeah. you come back on? That's my last question. Absolutely, anytime. And this has just been really nice. Thank you for creating a conversation that felt like genuinely that and um, just a dialogue with someone that I like. Thank I you. love talking <laughs> to you. I would talk to you even if we weren't recording, but I think that, <laughs> and I have always thought this, that, um, you know, our conversations always kind of elicit really good insights. And so to be able to share that with other people, I'm very appreciative of you doing that. Thank you so much for asking me. All right. Thanks a lot, Michelle. Take care. 
That's it. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Ed Up Explained. I have a couple of really good episodes coming out. So while I put them together, I'm going to ask you to subscribe to Ed Up Explained wherever you get your podcasts. If you can't uh, find it, just let me know. Send me a DM on LinkedIn. And um, like it, heart it, share it, everything. Thank you so much for your support.